All right, you ready for this? Ready. Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We are in crunch time. Absolute crunch time because Device Talks Boston is happening next week on Wednesday and Thursday. Ah, numbers are great. Uh, we actually have already more registrations than we did last year. So uh, thank you to everybody who has registered. For those who haven't, you really got to rethink that decision. Honestly, it's going to be a great show. Uh, we'll have in this podcast a, a breaking news announcement from uh, MedTech Innovator about another element we're adding to the program we just put together this week. And uh, we'll hear from uh, Rebecca Whitney, Senior Vice President at uh, ZimV, about ZimV's presentation. ZimV is one of the many companies that will be presenting, along with uh, Abbott, Boston Scientific, and Medtronic, Zimmer Biomet, and Olympus, and Philips, and Vicarious Surgical, and Stryker, and Becton Dickinson. We've got a ton going on. There's going to be most of the... Almost every major strategic will be there telling their stories, giving their insights, and most importantly, sending their senior personnel to uh, do these talks. So it's a great opportunity for you to network. So yes, we'll have Rebecca Whitney on this program. I've got a few interviews that I did with Holly Scott and Joe Mullings down at the Mullings Group. You may have seen one of them on linkedin i posted a video but it's been very popular so i wanted to run the audio here i'll continue to post the interviews that i did with them on linkedin we may sh uh, share them on a future podcast but uh, a lot of great insights and i'll i'll interrupt during this podcast which is going to have a lot of different elements to it it's a little bit of a different episode uh and sort of give some context to each discussion so lots going on next week at device talks boston Please do go to devicetalks.com to check out the agenda. If you haven't registered yet, you can still use the code DTWeekly25. And that'll save you 25% off the registration fee. So we've uh, worked hard to keep the price down. Full price is $695. Do the math on what 25% off of that. It's a little bit over $500. It's a great investment in your career, both where you are and where you may want to be. So uh, in this podcast, uh, I've got a great interview or a part of the interview I did with Holly Scott at the Mullings Group. They, of course, in our executive search firm. And uh, I talked with Holly about uh, what it means to uh, engage with a executive search firm and uh, what that can, how, how that can help you get clarity on your situation. You may not get a, a new job. You may just get the clarity you need to, uh, to know you're in the place you want to be. So uh, great conversation with Holly. Later on, I'll talk with Joe and Holly about sort of where we are uh, in terms of uh, employment in MedTech, about what folks who are looking for jobs should be looking for and what folks, or, or rather what companies should be doing to position themselves to attract the best and brightest talent. In addition to uh, Paul Grant of the MedTech Innovator, we'll have a couple of uh, fastball pitches from uh, two of the companies that will be presenting at Device Talks Boston next week. So again, uh, there's a ton going on. It's a busy week. So busy, in fact, that uh, I told Chris Newmarker we couldn't do a Newmarker's Newsmakers, but he being him being him, he being Chris Newmarker, he couldn't let another week go by without a Newmarker's Newsmaker. So he has recorded uh, just a one-man show, but uh, I'll offer in uh, my traditional lead-in and uh, give you just a, a taste of, of what you'll uh, what you'll get when we're back in uh, in full session 
in a couple of weeks. So, Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Hey there, Tom. Good to be here. Oh, wait a second. We can't have any banter because Tom is extremely busy with the final preparations for our, our amazing Device Talks Boston show that is coming up May 10th to 11th. But in the meantime, Tom, here's my gift to you. Just I'm going to record on my own like some quick Newmarkers Newsmakers for our weekly Device Talks weekly podcast because we got to get the newsmakers in, right? So number five on the list. We have, uh, you know, 3M uh, disclosing in Minnesota that its, uh, you know, layoff plans, which involve like 8,500 employees, are going to include 1,100 employees at its uh, headquarters located in Maplewood outside of uh, St. Paul here in the Twin Cities. Uh, you know, it remains unclear how many of the job cuts come from 3M's healthcare business, which is remains on track for, for a spinoff. Number four on the list, we've got uh, Zimmer Biomet uh, announced that it's going to, that it has a definitive agreement to acquire uh, Asus. It's a maker of uh, personalized 3D printed uh, implants, and uh, the news of that uh, acquisition came on top of uh, some just. Just really strong first quarter results. Profits were 16 times greater for uh, Zimber Biomet. Uh, they uh, upped their uh, guidance for the year. The uh, results were street beating, and uh, the markets responded uh, really positively to it. And uh, if you want to find out more about, uh, you know, how uh, you know Zimber Biomet's been, you know, putting together this uh, successful uh, strategy, I'll be uh, talking to one of their uh, top executives, uh, Nathan Goyle, at Device Talks Boston. So you got to be there. Number three on the list, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, some uh, tough news as well. We've got uh, Stryker uh, saying that the uh, SEC has contacted it over potential uh, anti-bribery law violations. Um, this is the, uh, this could, it looks like it's the third time in, uh, you know, they, well, actually, like in, in the past decade, Stryker has already had uh, two cases involving the, uh, you know, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act that it's settled. And, you know, now it looks like it has another, there could be a, uh, you know, another potential investigation that's uh, going on in that area. But in uh, more positive news for uh, Stryker, they completed their uh, acquisition of uh, Saras uh, Endovascular, which uh, Saras uh, designs and develops uh, neurointerventional devices for the treatment of intracranial aneurysms and number two on the list we've got medtronic winning an fda fda nod for their next gen micro leadless pacemaker uh the uh you know new uh, micro av2 and micro vr2 leadless uh, pacemakers uh include uh you know they've got uh you know 40 percent more battery life compared to previous generations and medtronic says this means that more than 80 percent of you know patients receiving a micro pacemaker uh, should should only need one device for life at this point. I mean, with the new uh, generation, I mean these uh, these uh, pacemakers should have uh, lives of you know of uh, nearly 16 years. So you know, for you think like if you know a lot of people who are seniors who receive the, these uh, pacemakers, you know they might never need you know another one uh, again. And I recall when the uh, micro was initially approved, they uh, they they also had to have some kind of retrieval device for it. But really. If you know if someone needs a second micro, they usually just go in and just put. They they don't remove the original one. They go in and like put a second one next to the one they put in before. But now they it sounds like they might not even have to do that for a lot of people. So this is great news. Should hopefully make this uh, this technology attractive to even more people. And number one on the list, uh, this was quite a story. We had FDA uh, clearing a smart. 
toilet seat for home heart monitoring from Kasana. Uh, heart seat measures a heart rate and oxygen saturation. Um, you know, really an interesting idea. I mean, you know, it's it's obviously a place that uh, people end up at least uh, once a day. So, you know, to have some kind of sensors on it that could uh, collect some health information and hopefully, uh, you know, improve uh, treatment of heart disease, um, you know, it sounds... Uh, so it's definitely a story that's been getting some attention on mass device. So those are our new markers, newsmakers for the week. I'm going to be in Boston next week. You should be too. Can't wait to see you. Take care. Take care, Tom. Good luck getting the show finished. All right, this next clip will be an interview, part of an interview I did with Holly Scott at the Mullings Group. I went down to uh, their 160 studios in uh, in Florida. It was a fantastic setup. Again, if you've seen the video on uh, on LinkedIn, you'll uh, you'll see why I was so excited to do this. But we, I, I got to speak with Holly Scott. I got to speak with Joe Mulling separately, and then I spoke with them both together. And I'll give excerpts from those interviews. Uh, the actually the combo interview will be largely uh, it's in its entirety. But in this interview I did with Holly Scott, I I really wanted to kind of continue to get practical advice for those in the medical device industry who are uh, being impacted by the layoffs. We've talked about that a few times in past episodes. We've we've um, dedicated some of the, the content at Device Talks Boston. To that, Holly Scott will be in a panel, the first panel of the session, of the of the conference rather, talking about uh, employment issues, and that starts uh, again 8:30 in the morning on uh, on May 10th. And Joe Mullings will actually wrap up the uh, event with Chris Newmarker and myself. We'll do kind of a Newmarker's Newsmakers podcast uh, discussion on stage at the end of the show and highlight the uh, the the high points. But also, well, I think we'll be talking a little bit more about employment. So this is an area area where I just feel like uh, when you've been impacted by something or have even had colleagues who have been impacted, it's good to uh, good to get a check, good to get a, have a sounding board. So in this part of the conversation I had with Holly Scott, I just wanted to find out what is it like when you engage an executive search firm? If you are at a company you're, where you're happily employed, but you just want to kind of hedge your bets, what happens when you reach out to the Mullings Group or another executive search firm? What's that process like? So uh, let's listen to that interview. And again, uh, Holly Scott will be at Device Talks Boston on uh, on May 10th. Well, she'll be there both days, but her panel will be the morning of May 10th. Uh, it'll be moderated by Chris Newmarker and uh, Kayleen Brown. And we'll feature Paul Grant of the MedTech Innovator and Gary Bosick of Viant Medical. Let's listen. You say contact a, a recruiter, mm -hmm. have a conversation. I'm sure most of the people listening haven't done that. What is that like? I mean, I'm sure it's kind of weird for someone to say I'm having a conversation with a mm -hmm. recruiter. They feel a little, maybe a little guilty. What is, what is that conversation? I imagine it's just a tell me about yourself so I, ha so I know your story. That's, you know, that's a great question because there's, there's a lot of misconceptions yeah. about speaking with a recruiter. Um, first of all, there, there's on, on both sides. I do not want to minimize the impact of someone conducting a job search, especially one that's been impacted by a company that they've been tied to. You know, you hit on something about I've identified with this organization for so many years. That's that's th this is like mourning a death. You know, this is a yep. really, really big grieve grievance and um, and a process. So as you step away from that and you think about you know what's next. Um, we want to work all. There's not one solution. I wish 
every inbound call that I got, I could place that person. But that doesn't happen. Right. We, we, we are counsel for you. We are confidential counsel. And the, the impact of chatting with a recruiter in your industry is you get a sense of what's going on. You get to tell your story so you are on their radar, so they know when and if something comes up that you are able to be contacted. And the misconception is you're immediately looking. Not true. You're having a conversation. And, and the, other, uh, immediate, the other misconception is that we can magically you know, create positions. We can't do that either. Right. You know, we, are, we are really brokering deals that happen based on market need. And if we have something, we want to make sure we know you. And we want to know that more than your resume, more than your LinkedIn profile, that you you know you do have a tie to Minneapolis that that is important to understand, or you do have um, a real serious interest in living overseas for a couple of years and raising your kids there. You know there are things that go well beyond the the paper that is that's important to understand in that conversation, and it allows you to hear what's going on. You know, ask your recruiter. How many placements did you did you make in the last year, mm -hmm. specifically in um, R and D, or specifically with startups, or specifically in Boston? You know, whatever's important. It's a, it's a bi-directional conversation. You should walk away feeling comfortable that you got insight into what's going on in the market. You may or may not have an immediate possibility. There may be, mm -hmm. and if there is an immediate possibility, you owe it to yourself to explore it. Explore it doesn't mean you're jumping. Explore it doesn't mean you're taking the job. It doesn't even, exploring it means you are learning more about yourself and your own career development and what's out there that could potentially take you in a different direction. I mean, I can't imagine that. To have that conversation with you, I can't, I can't imagine an easy way for someone just to assess where they are in a marketplace than to talk with someone like yourself. They get to talk to you, they get feedback, and you might say like, oh my God, that's a really valuable skill that mm -hmm. that person didn't even appreciate they that was that valuable. So. Yes. For self-assessment, and I'm guessing, I'm only guessing that at least more than once, you've probably gotten a phone call one week and then an opportunity a week or two later, and you're mm -hmm. like, oh my God, someone just called me, mm -hmm. let's get you together. I'm sure yes. that happens. Happens all the time. <laughs> it happens all the time. That's why yeah. it's important to have the, the and, and it can happen real time. You know, I can be on a call with someone and say, you know, I just had a call this morning. Get it was hold, really hold. interesting. Hold on one second. <laughs> yeah. Can we party line exactly. this? I don't know if they do, they do that anymore. Do they party line? You can conference them in. Yes, we can. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's important. It's important for you. Think of it as working out right yeah. Yeah. It, it may not be something that you, you you like doing but once you do you feel you feel better yeah. and it's something that you're doing for your development don't think of it as a means to an end don't think that if you pick up the phone you're going to leave your job that's not going to happen it may but it's multi steps first of all and our role in our organization is we help facilitate a decision it doesn't have to be a yes. Right. We help facilitate a decision on both sides. We want, we want your time to be well spent. We want the client's time to be well spent. And it may take one, two, three, four, five meetings to find out, you know what, it's just not right. Yeah, and then you appreciate what you have. But that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Because I guarantee you when we get to the end, I'm not going to get you an offer so great that you're going to be like, forget all those concerns I had yeah, right. in all those meetings. You know, you're going to get to the finish line and you're going to say, man, this makes sense to my, for me, for my career. It makes sense for my family. It makes sense for where I want to go. It's, it's, it's a different type of growth. And I really want to make this work. And then we hash out and you get your 
mild to moderate increase. I mean, that's that's the reality of how these things plan, pan out, and they take time. Yep. They take time. So I, I certainly want to be part of the equation when people are not just looking, when people are career-minded. And career-minded starts from college, from even high school, you know, depending on where, where the person's at. Whenever you really start thinking about career and career development, start thinking about what assets you have. And a good search firm, a good search recruiter, a good headhunter is an incredible asset. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Holly Scott. Now we're going to get into the MedTech Innovator part of the conference. Uh, MedTech Innovator has been a great partner for Device Talks. And uh, at Device Talks Boston, they will have 22 of their past graduates, companies that have gone through the program, some as far back as 2014. Uh, so these are mature companies. These are startups that are looking for additional capital. So they'll be pitching. Uh, MedTech Innovator has done a great job of uh, of bringing in investors who will uh, who will be watching the pitches of these companies and, of course, meeting with folks who are there. So in this next bit, we'll have two fastball pitches from the two of the companies that are presenting at Device Talks Boston. We'll have uh, one fastball pitch before. One fastball pitch after, and in between, I'm going to talk with Paul Grand about the uh, the breaking news, the pop-up VC panel that uh, MedTech Innovator has put together. I am Jared Myers, CEO and co-founder of Augment Health a medical technology company based out of Nashville, Tennessee. We are developing the first active bladder monitoring platform to support urologists in treating patients who have lost bladder function due to spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, and other neurologic conditions. We see 7 million patients affected by this in the U.S. alone and are initially focused on those patients receiving bladder injections for overactivity because of the frequent treatment adjustments over the course of each year. We are excited to provide an option to urologists who have serious concerns about their patient's kidney health, are struggling to treat patients solely based off symptom reporting, are losing patients to follow-up due to transportation issues, are dealing with months-long delays for diagnostic procedures, and are fed up with inconclusive results once they finally get to those diagnostics. Our bladder monitoring platform is different from what's available in the market today in that it provides a direct measure of bladder pressures during the patient's day-to-day -day life, can be used by the patient from their home, gathers data during multiple bladder filling and emptying periods, enables pre- and post-treatment comparison, and highlights key clinical events for urologist review. Our company was part of MedTech Innovator's last cohort, and we're at the pre-commercial stage with a complete prototype, positive animal study results, and externally validated reimbursement within the existing code set. If this is something you're excited about commercially, clinically, or personally, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me via email at jared, that's J-A-R-E-D, at augment.health, or via our website, augment.health. I look forward to hearing from you. All right, well, we have some Device Talks Boston breaking news. I am here with Paul Grant, CEO of MedTech Innovator. 
Paul, I understand we, uh, we're we adding yet another awesome element to uh, the Device Talks Boston agenda next week. What, uh, what have you got for us? Hey, thanks, Tom. Great to be here. Yeah, so in addition to our showcase, which I'm really excited about with uh, the MedTech Innovator All-Stars, we now have the pop-up venture capital panel. Awesome. So these uh, this came together. Uh, you you had reached out to a number of VCs. I know they'll be attending Device Talks Boston, and the the feeling was like, well, we'll, we'll all be there. We had some some extra space, and uh, let's uh, let's tell folks what we're up to. Yeah. So we've been doing outreach to get investors to come to the conference. As you know, I think we've got somewhere in the thirty to forty that are already confirmed who are coming. So these are active investors in the med tech space, which awesome. is uh, which is you know something that everyone prizes these days. So we've got uh, some great people coming to attend and to meet with the companies and and certainly to come to the rest of the conference. But within that, we also selected a number of those uh, venture capitalists to join a panel. Uh, we partnered up with Dave Uffer, who's uh, over at General Inception, which is a venture studio. And uh, between us and uh, Lisa Carmel over at Veronex, we reached out to a bunch of people and said, hey, would you like to speak on our panel? And uh, and these are people who some were already coming and some we, we made this as a special invite. So uh, we're really excited. We got Alan May, who is the chairman and founder of the Life Science Angels, which is the largest uh, angel network, I think, in the world for yes. life science investing. Uh, we've got Megan McDonough, who's a VP over at SV Health Investors. So she's terrific. David Prim um, from Broadview Ventures, which focuses on the cardiovascular space. And Josh Phillips, uh, who's a founder and managing partner at Catalyst Health Ventures, which is one of the most active early stage investors. Great. Well, it'll be great to have their perspectives. Uh, they're speaking at they're speaking at 2 p.m. on uh, on May 11th. They'll be uh, in the same room where you're having the MedTech Innovator All Stars. And uh, once again, how many companies uh, give us a, an overarching profile of the of the All Stars who will be presenting? Sure. Yeah. So the All Stars, we've got 22 MedTech Innovator graduates. So these these are people from past years, not just from this year. These are companies going all the way back to MedTech Innovator 2014 who are everything from seed to commercial. So they're varying stages. They're all raising capital right now, which was one of the key criteria, but they had to have made significant updates and progress since being in MedTech Innovator. So we selected a cohort of companies from within that. We had a lot more companies that wanted to pitch at Device Talks, but we limited it to those companies that made a lot of progress. Uh, we've got companies in the cardio, neuro, imaging, robotics, urology, orthopedics, dermatology, and oncology sectors. So we've got a little something for everybody. Companies raising anywhere from a million to $25 million in their current rounds. So these are seed, series A, series B rounds. Um, a lot of them already have lead investors, which we know is a big deal these days, uh, and significant committed capital. So they're just looking to fill out a round. Uh, which is uh, which is really exciting, and some of these are preclinical, and some are growth stage. So you know you got a little something for everybody. That's great. Well, if folks want to uh, take part in Device Talks Boston, they can of course go to uh, devicetalks.com. They can register to attend, and uh, they can also, uh, if anyone, any VCs want to reach out to you, Paul, where where can they find you? If any investors? Sure. Uh, any, yeah, any investors who want to reach out to me can reach me at Paul at medtechinnovator.org. Excellent. And those folks can understand a little bit more, learn a little bit, little bit more about the companies that I'll be presenting. And hopefully we can uh, make some magic happen at Device Talks Boston. 
Paul Grant. Right. Close some deals. Close That's some what we're deals. For. Thanks for That's all right. the, all the work you're doing. Couldn't have done this event without you. And uh, grateful to be working once again with MedTech Innovator. Thanks for uh, all the work. Thanks for all your partnership and your support of the ecosystem, Tom. Hi, this is Kunj Patel. I'm the president and co-founder of SafeBeat. We are making software that powers a hospitalization at home so that patients who are feeling sick but don't want to come to the hospital or stay in the hospital can be safely treated at home. We've started with atrial fibrillation and certain low acuity cardiac conditions. It's a $10 billion market opportunity and the feedback that we're getting from our current clinical trials are fantastic. We're getting the highest usability scores. We're a team of engineers and physicians. I'm a former mathematician, and we were selected into a Y Combinator back in 2021 and MedTech Innovator shortly thereafter. We're so excited for all the progress that we've made, and we look forward to rolling this out to hospitals across the country. If you'd like to help us by investing or joining our team or being a customer, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is executives at safebeatrx.com. Again, that's executives at safebeatrx.com. Thank you, and we look forward to creating the future of healthcare so you all can stay safely at home. Thank you. Well, that's great news from MedTech Innovator. Next up, and I hope you folks are keeping up, but there's a lot going on at Device Dogs Boston. That's what I'm trying to convey. We got a lot of ground we're going to cover. So much that uh, I'll be moderating seven or eight panels, and I'm upset about some of the stuff I'm missing. I really am. Uh, that's one of the, the the tragedies of putting together an event is you put together these great panels and you can't even see them. So, and and we're not going to be doing virtual. There's no virtual. We're not going to really be recording any sessions on video. So if you want to see these sessions, you got to be there. Uh, so don't uh, don't just wait until we start rolling out videos on social media afterwards, because that's not going to happen. So make sure you go to devicetalks.com to register again. Use the code DTWeekly25. Don't be the person who's hearing about this great event after it happened and wishing you went. We're not going to be able to get you a time machine and get you back in time. Just make the decision for yourself to uh, to attend. So next up, we're going to have Rebecca Whitney. She's Senior Vice President at ZimV. And uh, ZimV is going to be giving a great presentation that I won't say anything about because Rebecca is going to talk all about it. But uh, great to have ZimV there uh, along with many of the other companies I mentioned earlier on. So let's hear from Rebecca Whitney of ZimV. Well, Rebecca Whitney, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. I'm excited to have you at Device Talks Boston next week. Uh, I, it was a conversation that started on the podcast. We finished talking, and then I was like, "Hey, a year from now, we might be doing an event in Boston." And you were you were on board from the start, so I appreciate your support. Absolutely, we're looking forward to it. That's great. So uh, let's just follow up and a little or start with a little news. Uh, it's been a little over a year since the, the Zimvi spin out. How are things going? How are things uh, taking shape? You seem to have moved in nicely. You've got a nice, uh, nice office behind you. No boxes, yeah. no boxes lying around unpacked. <laughs> no, we are, we are definitely in and settled. And you're right. We had our year anniversary March 1st. So we're just a couple months and a year through the spin. And wow, what a year. Um, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> 
it's been full of a lot of hard work, um, a lot of progress. And I think for me, and I would think most of our team members, the exciting part is most of those separation pains are now behind us. So we can really double down on what's next for Zimby and for Zimby Spine specifically, kind of honing our, our focus and our identity and, and really starting to move with a lot of momentum in those areas that we've defined as, as most important to us. So it's been good. We've, we've got our sea legs and um, mm-hmm. Zimby is now not something anybody kind of stumbles over. It, I was going to say, over. how long did it take yeah. you to stop saying Zimmer and start saying Zimby? I'm guessing at least a month. It did. Well, and because we were new for about nine months. That's right. So we have a name, the name fits and um, yeah, things are really good. No, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a name that's, you know, people, people know, people understand that you're, you're a spine business and and dental as well, but I I like to talk about the spine business. Uh, This is a growing area we talked about in the podcast. Talk a little bit about your portfolio and has it changed much over the year and how has the business uh, on the spine side gone for, for Zimvi? Yeah, so a lot of what we've done over the last year is is optimize, I would say, both our portfolio and our footprint geographically. So we're a global business and we're in a lot of different countries. And what we realized pretty early on, even prior to the spin, was we can't be all things to all people. We need to really kind of kind of lay our shot out and then go take that shot. So whether it's what parts of the portfolio do we focus on what parts of the world do we focus on Mm -hmm. and that sweet spot really happens when you can put those two together and say this is the best product for the best opportunity geographically so in terms of that we've really honed our focus the the headline for us really hasn't changed we are a full line spine player we're one of the six largest players in the market but where we really set ourselves apart is in motion preservation so whether that's cervical disc replacement or tethering for pediatric scoliosis We're the number one market leader in both spaces, and we are very passionate about continuing to advance these solutions for patients who, quite frankly, have been underserved for many, many years because the traditional standard of care has been fusion. So we continue to invest in our fusion portfolio as well. We've made a lot of strides in that department, but where we've really been able to hone our focus and and set ourselves apart is in that motion preservation space. That's great. And you'll be talking at Device Talks Boston next week about about your Tether product. Talk a bit about that, and then we can talk a little bit about uh, about the discussion. It'll be you. You'll be there, Ryan Watson, your R and D director, and uh, a couple of other special panelists, guest panelists. Yeah. So, so Ryan has been around for a very long time and uh, runs our global R and D organization. So, his team are the folks that actually invented and came up with this technology. So, we'll be talking about that. But as we were talking about how to bring this whole technology to life, we thought it would be really exciting to hear from a surgeon as well as a a patient. So this is a young girl who received this technology about two years ago. Mm -hmm. So we'll be really privileged to be joined by the the patient, her parents, and the treating physician. So collectively, what we're hoping to do is bring these different perspectives to device talks and help folks understand not just how we brought this technology to market, but but hear firsthand about the real impact it has on the patients at the other end of it. So um, really excited for that piece of it. And uh, hopefully we'll have plenty of time for for panel style setups so that the audience can ask questions and really get to hear from the surgeon and the patient about how this device has has helped further their life. And I imagine yeah. this imagine this is a perspective you've heard before. How, how do does patient perspective uh, fit into Zimby's sort of communication to to employees to your coworkers? I imagine it's something you you want to keep everyone's eye on on that particular ball that it's about the patients. 
Yeah, we do. And our Zimby mission, which, you know, every company has them, but we spend a lot of time crafting this as we prepared to spin. And it's, it's simple. It's everybody deserves to feel better, healthier, and stronger. Mm-hmm. And as we were putting this together, um, we kind of sat in a room for a week and, and crafted this thing together. And the entire time we were doing it, the tether technology was what was running through my head. Because while that's true for all spine patients, it's never more true than when you find a patient who's indicated for this tethering technology receives the surgery and then gets back to life at a very rapid pace. For the most part, these are very active preteens or teenagers. And we basically are able to give them a future that um, gets them back to what they love to do mm-hmm. in, in pretty short order with, with fewer limitations than a, a fusion technology would, would provide. So hearing firsthand from patients is always very meaningful to our internal team. Um, and it kind of just reminds everybody that there is a patient at the end of all of this and hearing their stories is, is really touching and inspiring. And, and I know a big motivator for the internal team to keep pushing and developing and, and innovating because it really that, does make a difference. That's fantastic. Well, it's going to be a great addition to uh, device talks, Boston. It's one actually we haven't had previously. So it's nice to have a, a patient perspective there. So uh, your talk will uh, begin at 10.50 a.m. On, on May 10th. So you're essentially leading off. So uh, thank you very much for, for being part of Device Talks Boston and for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you, Tom. We'll see you next week in Boston. Can't wait. So, sounds great. So Zimvi will uh, will help us open up the conference. Uh, we'll actually will have one of the first sessions in the, uh, in the late morning. Uh, so they'll be presenting alongside Zimmer Biomet and uh, a discussion I'm leading about uh, digital health. But you can, and of course, the MedTech Innovator All Stars will be uh, kicking things off again that late morning. This will come after the uh, conversation about employment and after my keynote with Tom Poland, CEO of Beckton Dickinson. So, a uh, great way to start Device Talks Boston. Really grateful to Zimby for, uh, again, bringing a patient perspective to Device Talks Boston. And we'll also have a patient panelist on uh, a presentation by Abbott a little later in the day, uh, centered around their HeartMate. It's actually a, a patient who has transferred off of HeartMate. They were a HeartMate user for a long time. They got the heart transplant they needed, and uh, they'll talk about their experience with uh, with that. So uh, I'm glad we can really get some more uh Again, patient perspectives, patient points of view, patient testimony at Device Talks Boston. Okay, next up, I'm going to run uh, the entirety, the entire interview I did with Joe Mullings. The entire interview I did with Joe Mullings and Holly Scott back when I was in their studios. In this uh, conversation, we, we kind of looked at the current employment situation two ways. What do companies need to do to attract the best talent, especially if they've had some layoffs recently? What's... Uh, What's the message they want to co- communicate to tell the best and brightest that they're uh, they are innovating and they're a great place to work? Flip side, what do folks who uh, have been laid off or are just looking for new opportunities how the how should they be presenting themselves? And uh, you know, when when is a good time to be in a strategic? When is a good time to be in a startup? So some practical career advice here from Joe Mullings and Holly Scott. So we're, we're previewing uh, Device Talks Boston. It's happening on May 10th and 11th in Boston. You're both kind enough to uh, to be our leadoff hitter and sort of our cleanup hitter uh, at, the, at the start, at the end of the show. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about what we'll be hitting at Device Talks Boston in our previous conversations that I've had individually with both of you. 
and we, we've covered sort of uh, the, the what employees can do during this sort of reset of medtech. We've talked about the state of the industry, M&A-wise and robotics-wise. I kind of want to take this conversation in, in a bit of a different direction. Uh, so we, we've, again, been through a workforce reset, and I keep coming up with different weird ways of saying layoffs. But we're, we're, we're at a point where folks are going to be looking for new jobs. They're going to be recruited for new jobs at some of these companies that have had the, the layoffs, perhaps at some startups. So I'd love to get from you a sense Really, on a, on, a, in a, on, a, on a practical level, if you're an employee, I like, to, I like to understand if you're an employee who is being offered an opportunity at one of these larger companies. Let's talk about larger companies first. What are some things that they should sort of take into consideration when they're weighing their current position versus uh, a position at a company that, again, has had a bit of a rocky time lately, but is clearly going to achieve great things in the future? Um, so, uh, Joe, let's kick it off with you. What what sort of advice do you give to folks at, at assessing opportunities um, at some of these larger companies? What should they be looking for? Mm. Well, I think, Tommy, you have to look at a couple of things. One is what function are they in? Are they in R&D? Are they in clinical? Are they in manufacturing? Are they in supply chain? Mm -hmm. Right, Just to use those as examples. Because those are different strengths in the larger companies. You know, Generally speaking, a heavy R&D lift doesn't necessarily happen at one of the big strategics. But gosh, they're great at supply chain. They're great at manufacturing. Uh, they're pretty good at clinical most of the time. Uh, and regulatory, they're okay at as well. So depending on the function we're looking at, I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a young man who I think the world of, and I always like to use real world experience. Mm -hmm. He calls me up, Harvard undergrad, Harvard grad, <clears throat> has done a couple great internships in med tech, has, is at a great company right now in Boston. He called me up, he said, listen, I've got the opportunity to go into the digital section of this large strategic. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And, and, and this, this young man's got a lot of options. And I said to him, I said, well, I said, explain to me exactly what the role is. Because if you ask knee-jerk reaction, I'd like stay away from the big strategic for digital. Obviously, they're not getting it right. right. Yeah? Mm -hmm. um, given his background and what he's done to date, though, I asked him, are you going to be in a digital role that's gonna be evaluating external opportunities, external uh, 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 activities or product platforms that may be there for M&A or partnering? If so, definitely consider it. If, however, you're gonna be put into a digital box mm -hmm. to work on a product in that large strategic who isn't a digital native, it might not be your best alternative right now. So I really I think it matters on where you are in your career. If you're mm -hmm. early in your career, say between five and ten years, you've got to be really careful if you're going to lock up your career at a large strategic, if it's not right in their core competency. Because mm -hmm. these are the years that you're establishing your network, and most large corporations have employees for a long time, mm -hmm. so they're not going anywhere soon in order for you to sort of seed your network for your next opportunity. And things don't move really fast there. Mm -hmm. They move, but they don't move fast. Interesting. So you have to be really careful if you're early, mid, or late career. That would be my guidance on this is what you need to be looking for in the large strategics. Is it helpful to have on your resume two or three years at a large strategic, and then you've moved on to another large strategic, or to really get the value of that network 
in that connection? Do you have to be there for a longer period of time? So if someone is, mm -hmm. is at a smaller company, but they're looking at a large strategic, is two or three years there enough to really get the value of, of being part of that company? Or should you really commit yourself, I'm going to be there for 10 years or so to really kind of have that strategic imprinted on my resume? I don't think you have to imprint a, a timeline post three years, no. because even if you stay at one organization, over two to three years, you've made some accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And those accomplishments are by which you're graded. So your extended career is based on what you accomplish over a few years' time. And even if you are within one big strategic, chances are, after a couple of years, you're looking for your next opportunity to grow. And that could be internally or it could be externally. So it really does depend. If you're coming to the table and you have several years in a small company, and someone's giving you an opportunity or encouraging you to ex explore an opportunity that's within a large strategic, and uh, it, it is good, meaty, valuable experience and represents where the market's going, you may be, you may be doing yourself a, a huge service mm -hmm. by getting that exposure. And over a couple of years' time, you're going to meet people. You're going to develop relationships with those additional subject matter experts within the organization, and they go with you. They go with you. Think of how fast you can develop good rapport and good relationship with people you work with on a project six months, three months, mm -hmm. a year and a half. You know, I don't think it has to be much longer than that to really make a make an imprint, so to speak. Yeah, and what you want to do too, and Holly's right on this, so you have to look at it and go, why did you go there and why did you leave there yep. in your next interview? Yep. Right? And, and then during that time, what did you learn and what did you accomplish? And if they don't ask you that in the interview, you need to be prepared to be proactive to show that. So that's mm -hmm. number one. If you run through your whole career in startups or emerging tech companies, um, there's nothing wrong with that. It really matters what your goals are. And, and a lot of times I'll get individuals who I want to be a CCO, I want to be a CEO, I want to be a CTO. I said, cool, and what size company? Mm -hmm. And so going to a large strategic can show you things, processes, mm -hmm. what great looks like, what mm -hmm. not so great. You get experiences there that you can't get in the emerging tech startups because the emerging tech startups are just going fast at the expense of a lot of training. Mm -hmm. So you usually get better training if you seek it out and demand it in the large strategics. And I oftentimes will give advice in an offer letter is to ask in the offer that you get to go to two trainings of your own selection every year. Mm. Work that into the negotiation. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're a software engineer and there's a certain language or something you want to learn. Maybe you're a design engineer and there's a vibrations class you want to go to, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. But you oftentimes can get training subsidized, you can get your MBA or your grad degree. There's a lot of things you can gain in those large strategics. Mm -hmm. You can also make sure you get Device Talks Boston and Device Talks West in, the, in those offer letters too. That's make right. sure you go to both of those. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, shameless plug. Uh, so we, we've seen on a broader scale, um, the, the, the having a one job at one company for your entire career is, is rare, uh, least uh, rarer than it used to be. Do we see that model changing at all in, in med tech? Uh, for talk to someone who's 24, 25 now, are we still going to see the same percentage of people who have spent 25 years at Medtronic, 25 years at Stryker, 25 years at Baxter, wherever, as we have in the past, or is is the forces that have changed things in the outside world? Is it impacting medtech now? Are we going to see less and less of that? I think you're going to see less and less of that, um, especially outside of um, 
the highly technical roles. So you know, you might get the administrators might be there for a really mm -hmm. long time, and your GNA might be there for a long time. But for the most part, I don't think you're going to see the career gold watch people there. Number of reasons. Um, <clears throat> A lot of the innovation at the large companies is happening externally now, uh, probably at a much higher rate and a higher percentage. You used to be able to count on a, a device platform in particular to dominate a market for five, six, seven, eight years. I mean, I think one of the few things you can point to today is like MitraClip um, out of Abbott, because what happens is those those technologies rotate out so quick. Either the mm -hmm. clinicians are doing procedures different, we're learning more about biology in the human body, the materials are changing, engineering is getting more clever, mm -hmm. so you're not able to hold a market share. So therefore, product platforms are disappearing a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. um, and then are the, the jobs are with that as well, oftentimes. Um, and you're also starting to see a more of a sales marketing distribution, um, manufacturing in the large strategics, and the specialization on those are changing very quickly as well. Mm. So unless you're a lifelong aggressive <clears throat> learner, you might be compromised if all you're doing is showing up every day, and I don't mean it that in a negative right, right, way. Right. Mm -hmm. You could be compromised in this ever-evolving um, need to be a lifelong aggressive learner in your career in med tech for sure. We're seeing some of that, unfortunately, the fallout from from those who have who have who have missed those opportunities to continue to grow and be and be current and and continue to be marketable. So yeah, that can that can be a, a real challenge. I will though say I, I don't believe we'll ever see a world where there isn't a certain population of individuals who want to go to a career home mm -hmm. and bank on it, you know, for as long as they possibly can. And and the big strategics, the big companies are always going to need those those spokes in the wheel, right? So there's there's always going to be that population that keeps the machine going and and misses opening their eyes to other things because they're so focused on the ball ahead of them. Now, <clears throat> will they retire with a watch? Probably not. That's not going to happen, but they will spend many, many years in one organization. And they'll get moved and pinched wherever the company needs them. Yeah, and but the, with the risk there, and, and Holly's right on that, the risk there though is the longer you're at the corporation, the more expensive you are to the corporation. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so that value starts to come into play. Right, right. So if you're there for 20, 25 years, odds are you're up at the upper, upper echelon of the earning in that band that you're in. Right. And then I've got Sally coming in right now mm -hmm. who has been a lifelong learner or eight years into her career with the most progressive stuff and usually the education's super current and her materials experience mm -hmm. or whatever she's doing and she could be up to 60% of the cost that you are. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're putting yourself at risk there as organizations start to evaluate what's the ROI I'm getting at that point in time. And then the years of organizations taking <clears throat> care of their people, I hate to say it, are kind of over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when you start to sort of point all those at that subject, you really become, you put yourself at risk. Mm -hmm. Holly, on the engineering side, we'll be talking a lot of engineering at Device Docs Boston. Uh, where do you, if you were if if you were advising someone in their in their mid twenties right now as to where where someone might get the most experience or the most bang for their 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 time spent on engineering, would you direct them toward the startups? I know I know you work with a lot of startups. Mm -hmm. Would you direct them toward a larger company? Does it depend on the person? How should someone who's watching this right now 
fitting that demographic, how should they sort of view the best possible path for their career? What should they be doing? The, the good news is neither are wrong necessarily. Yeah. You can get great marketable experience in either. The, the point is the same. You have to continue to learn. You have to continue to evolve no matter what stage you are in your career. So if you're new and you're going to an organization where you can spend several years learning valuable experience, whether that's a big strategic or a, or a young company, they're all companies, they're all experiences, and it's individual. We, mm -hmm. we like Joe said, the companies don't take care of us anymore, and that's not their job. Their job is to make money and give it back to their shareholders, and that's, that's the function of a company. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of our own career, and how are we going to do that? We're going to continue to grow, and we're gonna to continue to grow in a place where there's value add that makes sense to the business. So you, you, can't, you, you can go wrong only if it's viscerally wrong for you. Mm -hmm. If you're an engineer and you're going to work on something that you're not challenged by and you don't feel like you're being your authentic engineering self, then you're in the wrong spot. Yeah. But if something dials you in and it happens to have a big banner headline on it, don't dismiss it because you feel you're entrepreneurial. You can get good experience and early in career, that's the time to, to try new things and explore. No, that's a great point. And I think it's yeah, yeah, and, and I, I think more important than the company, Tom, is who is the person that you're going to work for? Mm -hmm. Because that person, I will tell you, is getting the band back together is a serial behavior in med tech. <laughs> yes, it is. Right? So, yes, so is. The, the pull through from some of these great, you know, Holly and I are fortunate. She's 23, 25 years in it, and I'm 32 years in it. And we were just out at ISHLT, the heart-lung transport, tra transplant business, and I was sitting a bunch of CEOs who run these companies now, and we were giggling because uh, in Miami Lakes 25 years ago, they were just little punky engineers and little <laughs> punky product managers, and now they're CEOs, at, but they've pulled people along with them their whole careers. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that band, if you will, so mm -hmm. pick the person you're gonna work for first. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Right, and then they will pull you, if you're good, mm -hmm. they will pull you along or they will be a mouthpiece for you when one, another leader says, listen, I need a great Clint person. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, I got her. She's over here right now. Mm -hmm. Give her a call, tell her I sent you. That's more important than the company you go to work for. That's interesting, and I want to I want to talk about the company perspective in a moment. But just to drill down on that point, how do you assess that person that you're interviewing with? How do you know that they're the kind of person that maybe you could support and help and, and be part of their 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 ongoing story? Um, you're talking about the leader. Yeah, the leader. Like, yeah, so they have a track record. Yeah. And what's great about LinkedIn right now is you can look up any leader. Yeah. Where in the past, previous to LinkedIn, you weren't going to get, you know. Doug Godshall's resume, right. right, from right, but but you can go online and say, okay, who did they work with? Where did they work? What did they do? What was the exit of that company? How did it do with the FDA? What were the clinicals like? It's easy. You can dig all this up online, mm -hmm. clinicaltrials.gov, and then you know people who are working there now because on LinkedIn it says you're also connected to these 222 people that Doug is connected to, yeah. and then you can call up and see again, maybe not for Doug proper, mm -hmm. but the people who work for him. And so it's really easy to reverse engineer your career path here uh, and more than it's ever been before. Mm -hmm. So I would say, what did they take to market? Don't look at a company failing as a bad leader. Sometimes it was a bad time in the market. Mm -hmm. You know, Sometimes it was, I go back to the days of, remember when we built Novost, mm -hmm. right? So right before the drug-eluting stent came out, there was a radiating stent, mm -hmm. right, out of Novost, and they were ready to go public, and then I think the drug-eluting stent with Bill Hawkins was mm -hmm. running the company, and Don Weber was there then, 
and and you know they just went from being a darling to just overnight. It wasn't mm -hmm. anybody's fault. It was right, bad right. timing in the market. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you've got to make your decisions that way too. Get context around what happened at that company because sometimes one or two really bad experiences is oftentimes the best teacher. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So let's let's flip the script a bit. Let's let's pretend you're 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 on the hiring side of these companies. Um, nothing can getting the right person can can change your your world day to day. <laughs> like having someone who who is who is filling the needs that you need filled, and they're just delightful to work with. They can just <laughs> our best yes, marriage yes, yet. Yeah. <laughs> it can just make it can be all the difference in the world. So what what can these companies who have had some headlines now that you know cast doubts upon stability and things like that? What can these larger companies or, or anyone who's hiring, what should what messaging should they be getting out there to attract the best people and to and to really get the right people into this organization so it can meet meet its potential and go where it needs to go? Yeah, I don't know if there's been a more timely question in this market that you just put out there than right now. I'm really watching a major fumble by the large strategics right now. You know, in particular those that have gone through some big downsizing. Um, you know, we talk about Medtronic, we talk about J&J, even CMR, who's doing extraordinarily well, just let go hundreds of people. Yeah. What they're doing is they're talking about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I understand that for shareholder value and burn rate on money. But what they're doing is they're leaving an irresponsible vacuum of, but hey, here is why you still may want to come here. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't address that vacuum, Tom, mm -hmm. they're gonna have a generational gap in great talent because they're not telling the story that needs to fill that vacuum of, look, tough time, bad decisions, market shifts. Having said that though, here's the reasons why you still want to come here. And there's not a single organization doing that right now. And it's a terrible, terrible thing that they're doing to their future selves as well as to the current people who work there. Because if you're not going to be bringing in what I call these force multipliers, I don't want to think about what your product platforms are going to be five years from now. Because right now, the great people are also looking at the door mm -hmm. and getting calls all over the place. Mm -hmm. And if they're early or mid-career right now and sitting around and you're eight, ten years into your career and you're at one of these big strategics, and things are gonna be flat for three years, you, I can guarantee you that A players are like, I can't hang out here. Mm -hmm. Nothing's gonna happen for three years. I'm just gonna be on a hamster wheel and just get the same experience for the next three years. And people are gonna say, well, why'd you stay there during that time? Mm -hmm. to help me understand that, because that was just an absolute train wreck. And so I think what's happening right now is the corporations, what do they need to be doing? They need to get way out in front of this. Take it on the chin, we made some bad decisions. We had some bad timing. We executed less than optimally. Having said that, here's who you can become if you come here. Here's who you're gonna work with if you come here. Here's why we're showing up every day. And here's why this market that we're in, let's call it diabetes right now, here's what the growth is in that market. And here's the product we're working on in this market. Here's why you still wanna apply here for a job even though the rest of the news out there is less than optimal. Mm -hmm. I am flabbergasted why leadership is not filling that vacuum with positive messages. Yeah, maybe it's a matter of timing, but Holly, you can add to that or speak for the smaller companies. You've got a lot, you, you, part of your portfolio, you work with the startups, and I'm sure they have an opportunity to say, hey, mm -hmm. we got a lot of cool stuff happening over here. Like, mm -hmm. like, check it out now. Yeah, you know, the steady paycheck, quote unquote, is great, 
but you know, come find something you're truly passionate about. What, 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 how, do, how would you advise them to take advantage of this situation and, mm -hmm. and fill their ranks with the right people? Yeah, and it just coming off of what Joe shared, sometimes inaction is action, right? Yeah. So when you, when you don't address the elephant in the room where your buddies that you've known for the last 10 years are no longer there and you just say, oh, it's a bad time, let's move along, move along, then everyone in that organization is now in defense mode. No one's playing offense anymore. No one's playing offense. So the innovation is stifled as we all as we all know. So yes, there's a huge opportunity for young companies because that's where the innovation happens even in the best of times. So the young organizations have the prime time to speak their reality, what they are bringing, the value they're bringing, why it's important to be there. What is the mission? What is the market that they're they're going after? What is this? And and ensuring that the people who are impacted at least are cognizant and aware of who they are. Awareness and attention has never been as important as it is right now for young organizations in particular. Because the look, when, a, when the larger strategics are not speaking, mm -hmm. they are speaking. Mm -hmm. And people are starting to think about what is next. And just like companies, if inaction is action, same with the individuals. If you're sitting in the pocket with an organization that is not going to innovate for the next few years and hanging on to a job that you really hate, you're basically telling your future employer that you were either scared, too scared to make a move, or you didn't, you, you really aren't. You can't tell me that you want to go to a young company when you have all these opportunities and timing and you never peep your head up, you know? So so you're saying things without, without saying them. That's interesting. I think Ultimately, if you're in that position where you're not energized and moving forward, somehow that catches up to you. Like, it always does. And yeah. Tom, in this market, the acceleration right now of technologies mm -hmm. and the iteration development of medical devices has never, ever been as fabulous as it is right now. It's an unbelievable time to be in med tech because there's so many new things that are being deployed. There's so many. You don't have to be a big company to be a big player any longer. Mm -hmm. You know, we're seeing that all the time. Mm -hmm. As these small players, because of the technology shifts and the rapid adoption of certain technologies by these clinicians is incredible. And they're scaling very quickly. So, and, and they're being acquired very quickly, yep. much quicker than ever. I remember when we first started, you get acquired just on clearance or approval from the FDA, and then that stopped. Somebody got smart and realized, you know, that clearance and approval doesn't mean adoption and utilization. Mm -hmm. And so adoption and utilization was then what you needed to demonstrate at scale. And then the price, of course, would go two and three X on that, but also the risk would be supposedly mitigated. But now what we're starting to see, it's sort of coming back is that adoption and utilization is like, well, we're not sure we have to worry about that as much anymore. Mm -hmm. And because the startups right now, the emerging tech are saying, well, yeah, I, I would have liked to exit for 800 million, but I'll take 600 million right now yep. because I just need to get the heck out and get my, mm -hmm. my investors their money. Mm -hmm. And so we no longer have to wait as long for that adoption utilization if we can mitigate that risk and the markets are pretty predictable. Now those technologies are getting picked up quicker post-clearance, but certainly not the extra year or year and a half on adoption utilization, which was the case up for the last seven or eight years. Holly, final word to you. Speak to the engineer, the young engineers in medtech about the opportunities ahead and speak to, say, hypothetically, my son who's going to be an engineer and wants to go into aerospace, I would love him to go to biomed, but let him mm -hmm. follow his own dreams. But what would the sales pitch for, for biomed be for future engineers and for engineers who are just 
making their way into the in the industry and looking around and saying, what you know, what what's happening here? Well, first of all, aerospace is great. It and, is great. And we I pull know. a lot of great people from aerospace <laughs> oh, into medtech later on. <laughs> all right, so we'll let still. them get some good experience <laughs> and we'll talk. Right. Yeah, the reality is, look, people who come into medtech do so because we're elevating patient care. Yeah. We're taking care of our, our parents, our kids, our family members, all, all of those who have been impacted. So there's really, frankly, there's no better industry. It's a matter of how you get into it. And you can get into it directly out of school. You can get into it different points of your career. We're seeing more transition than ever. It's, it's wonderful to see how much um, cross-pollination is going on between med tech, any other industry, and, and technology, as well as biotech and, and pharma. There's, there's a lot more um, openness and, and sharing um, in terms of, of innovation. So that's good for everyone. So for, for those young in, in career, look, it, engineering happens in many, many, many different ways, and you can get great experience. Is biotech the best one? Yes, and you should eventually get into it, Tom's son. But at the end of the day, you know, get, keep, let him let him let him go towards where he feels he's going to learn and continue to grow because that's the common theme between every yep. every stage, every company size. It's not just it's it's big companies, small companies, all companies. Where are you individually going to continue to grow and and build on that over your lifetime? Yeah, follow your passions for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, this has been a great conversation. Thanks again for having device talks here at, uh, at 160 Studios. It's been great. All right, so this is the last uh, little bit of audio for this week's episode. Once again, we cover a lot of ground because we're covering a lot of ground at Device Talks Boston. Go to devicetalks.com to register. Use DT Weekly 25 to save 25%. Anyway, in this interview that I did, or this portion of the interview I did with Joe Mullings of the Mullings Group, we talked uh, about the surgical robotics field. Joe works with a lot of these companies. He's uh, talks to a lot of the senior executives. He's got a great perspective on where things are and where things are headed. So since we'll be talking a lot about surgical robotics at Device Talks Boston, it's also uh, co-located with our company's Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum and our Robotic Summit and Expo. So one third of the folks at our meeting on May 10th, 11th will be device talks. The other two thirds will be robotics folks. So it's going to be a heavy, heavy robotics crowd. So I wanted to include uh, this portion of the interview, again, where Joe gives his uh, sense of where things are, where things are headed, and uh, who might have a lead. And I think you can guess the answer to this question. That is just uh, insurmountable. And uh, it's actually something Chris Newmarker and I talked about a couple of weeks ago. So uh, let's listen to this interview with Joe Mullings of the Mullings Group. So we've talked about surgical robotics space before, mm. and you, you kind of got me thinking just about J&J and Medtronic. Are, are companies like that, and I want to say those specific companies, are they capable of that moon launch kind of, we're going to build a surgical robotic system? Or, or from your perspective, are they better off buying one of the companies that you, you referenced earlier that are emerging and, and coming up and maybe have benefited from the talent you spoke of who after the big deal, they went off to start a, a, a new robotic company. And, is, and I'm going all over the place, but has that led to sort of the research, the emergence of all these new surgical robotics companies, all the talent that's kind of dropped off from, uh, from acquired properties or an intuitive or established players? Mm-hmm. 
So what's really interesting, and I feel like I've got have got a great venue over the last nine years in surgical rods, especially soft tissue orthopedic. Let's stay on soft tissue because that's where we are right now. A sure. soft tissue robot yep. you and I have discussed is entirely <clears throat> different than an orthopedic robot. <laughs> Making it, bringing it to market, adoption, utilization. So let's say soft, soft tissue for a second. <clears throat> the biggest issue with a soft tissue robotic platform is historically when you made a medical device, IDE PMA, all your R&D money after it made it through the FDA for the most part drops off precipitously, about 80% of it. Mm. So if you're making a structural heart, a mitroclip, uh, an aphera mapping, right? All that heavy lifting happened before you got through, you got through your IP, got through your safety efficacy, got your clearance approval. Then you're like, good thing we got done with that, right? Clinical drops off, uh, R&D drops off in relative terms. When you have a soft tissue robot, when you go to market, you almost have to double and triple down on your R&D. Wow. Because it's almost like, think of it like a Tesla. Yeah. Elon Musk came out this week and said, I can sell my Teslas for cost or even take a slight loss because my real value is going to be the software on the road moving forward. And it's the same thing with a robot, Mm -hmm. soft tissue robot. So you've got to double and triple down on subject matter experts on the R&D side after you launch, in addition to all the lifting you did before. So if you buy a surgical robot, a soft tissue robot, and you don't retain that R&D team, and you think that you're gonna attract best in class R&D people, imaging navigation, AI, ML, UI, UX, all of that, all technologies that are not native to medical device, for the most part, and you're gonna be able to perpetuate that platform against somebody who has that expertise in house all day long, Therein lies the issue, which is why I think you've got to go to shared revenue models so you can acquire a CMR. And most of the team will stay at CMR because they get to do CMR things. Mm -hmm. But if I'm a CMR person and I've got to go do J&J things, which is not a native soft tissue robot digital company, I'm not going to stay. I'm going to go find somebody else to play with Mm -hmm. in that domain that's going to grow my skill sets. Interesting. So the, the the additional commitment to R and D for surgical robotic systems, it's to continue to enhance the the system, to develop new features, to just like every other technology device we buy, yeah. oh. we want it to we want it to continue to grow and to emerge and to always have new features. That's a that's a really obvious difference between traditional metal devices that I hadn't picked up on. Yeah, and and in addition to that, to get a robot through the FDA. You want to get an MVP, a minimal minimal viable product, through. So the number of features that are quote unquote embedded into the system yet to be turned on are pretty profound, because that just makes it a much more complex regulatory pathway. So as you then start to get these in the clinician's hands, the surgeon's hands, the work team's hands, you learn in the OR, in the theater. That's an incredible advantage of every case you do, you're informing back to your engineers, back to your UI, UX, back to how it interacts. Building the robot itself is the easiest part. Having the software and the decision-making that occurs from the amalgamation of data and then therefore gives the insights to the clinician and the work teams has to come from the aggregation of data and then constantly because those technologies, sensors, visualization systems continue to get better and better every year, Mm -hmm. you've got to be able to incorporate those into that 
product platform. And you need the engineers to do that. Interesting. So we're going to have, we'll talk to Jeff Alvarez of Moon Surgical on this podcast. We're going to interview him a little later. We'll have him at, at Device Talks Boston. Is Moon Surgical, now that you're talking, I'm, I'm seeing, is that almost kind of a hybrid robotic device? Because it's, it's a robotic system, but it's very targeted at, at what it does. It's, from, from what I gather, it's not, it's not trying to be everything to all people and trying to solve all the problems. It's trying to solve the immediate problem of, of holding a device in place uh, to, to, to free up uh, someone in the OR to do something else. Is that sort of a, a next generation of robotic company you see, or is that kind of a, a one-off? Because I know you're familiar with the company. How do yeah. you see Moon Surgical fitting into the entire landscape? Yeah. Well, first of all, Jeffrey uh, is, is, I think, one of the brightest minds in surgical robotics. He, By the way, for those that don't know, Fred Mole, of course, for everyone knows Fred if you're in robotics, yep. Jeff was the first hire at Oris. So, and, 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 and Fred... Pretty good claim. Yeah, it's a pretty good claim. Right? <laughs> so, and then Jeff's seen a lot of different technologies over time, right? Yeah. So what they went in and did, very basically, is put together a, I coined the word a couple of years ago, a here hold this robot. And I mean that respectfully. Yeah. And it allows you to use your same stick. It allows you to use your own visualization system. It also has intelligence on board that's collecting all kinds of data for the surgeon. Um, it's also a much lower price point. It gives the uh, surgeon the same, not the same, very similar capabilities to whether you would get with some of the other soft tissue clear robots out there. It's in the market. And Tom, the thing that is critical to a robot is getting it to the market and getting feedback from the market. Because until you get there and all you had is your own KOL sitting in a lab with you yeah. and giving you an echo chamber of how fun this is and how great it is, it's the people who don't appear on the podium that you need to get hundreds of those hands, eyes, and styles into your robot in order to really get a robot that is gonna be robust and withstand the pressure in the market. So selling your first 10 robots is tremendously easier than sending, selling your next 90. Interesting, interesting. Last question about robotics, then yeah. I wanna talk about things more broadly. We talked about CMR, Renovo, others that are emerging. What, what, is this, what does this landscape look like, you think, in a couple of years? Are we gonna see some acquisitions? Are we gonna see Renovo? come in from Asia into the U.S. or CMR continue to work in the U.S. and take share from companies. Uh, and, and within that question, within that answer, give me your assessment of Intuitive. We had the conversation on the podcast, Chris Newmark and I, last week. Is Intuitive's lead just too great right now? Uh, is it, I mean, I know they don't have a significant piece of the market, but they're killing it right now. <laughs> like, they're just having quarter after quarter, having really strong, strong news and a lot of placements. And uh, is, do they have an insurmountable lead? in surgical robotics? As of today, I would call it insurmountable. Really? Yeah, I would yeah. call it insurmountable. When you focus on one thing and one thing only, um, and, and it's not only making a robot, which is what Gary and his team have done, what they've done is they've also built an unbelievable supply chain. And they've, they have enough misses internally in the organization to get a sense for what works and what doesn't work. At any point in time, Intuitive's got two or three different platforms being built inside. And they also, Gary, what Gary's doing right now is not necessarily gaining market share. What he's doing is strengthening market share. Mm -hmm. So his R&D spend, and it was in the public domain, his R&D spend is going into facilities, manufacturing, supply chain, reducing the number of 
players in his supply chain, increasing his footprint in his manufacturing facilities, putting manufacturing facilities closer to the user base. So he's doing something really intelligent by firming up and getting ready to scale in order to move to the next level of sort of sales and domination of that market. Is the market looking for second and third alternatives? It's great for the market to have second and third alternatives. You know, it's forcing the single port. It's forcing, you know, technology forward on the intuitive platforms. But I'm not sure I would pick a fight on that format in that area right now because the people who are going, CMR and a census, a census is the only other clear robot in the US, mm -hmm. who's doing something really clever at Anthony Fernando down there and they don't get enough press and I think they should. Anthony's doing something very, very clever right now that is not trying to compete with um, the intuitive platform. What he's done is he's moved it a little bit to, towards precision digital surgery, not indexing, over-indexing towards the robot, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and we can spend time on that um, now or, or another time. Um, but to go up against Gary in a large format soft tissue robot in the US is insane. And I think that's why CMR staying outside. They're in with the FDA right now. Um, whether or not that's gonna be easy sailing or not, yet to be seen, I don't think it will be. And I think they're gonna be really clever about what they're doing. Plus they're also going through some major cash right now. They had a downsizing. They went from, they went from like 300 people two years ago to 1,100 people. And I think they just downsized by three or 400 people if mm -hmm. I get the number right. And they're, they're being clever about it. You know, per left, he wasn't a surgical robotics or even a medical device guy, right? They brought in a medical device person. They're, they're, they're saying, okay, let's pause here. Let's well, not what's the difference? Because I, I interviewed Per for the podcast. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is great. Someone who's actually in robotics is going to be leading one of these companies. They're going to bring all the knowledge from all these other industries into medical device. And I have no idea how he did it. I don't know. I, after that interview, I haven't really looked at the company. So, but is it just, is med, are medical devices just so different than everything else that that skill set wasn't really as necessary as I thought it was? A soft tissue robotic company isn't a robotic company. Yeah. It's a, medical it's a digital, surgery, digital company. surgery company. And so PER, although it comes out of a robotic <coughs> background, is industrial robotics, mm -hmm. which is, you know, trying to say that selling a Maybach you know, is the same thing as selling a Prius. You know, there are different markets, different users, different mm. expectations across the board. Per also came from a very large organization. And if you look at what they did during his tenure, they said bigger is better by his guidance. And bigger isn't necessarily, necessarily better at the point CMR was at. Because if you don't have major cash flow, I think they've got 100 systems out in the in the market right now, and I think 10,000 surgeries under their belt, they're still a baby. And so you're burning through a lot of cash there learning. Yeah. And so if you're not a med tech person, you don't understand how to take that product to market and you can still push things through in the market saying bigger is better, we need to expand, expand, expand. And I don't think bigger is better in soft tissue robotics in your first few years of existence. You can burn through a lot of cash. And now they're gonna have to go out and raise another round if they're gonna go commercial, they're probably sitting on the sidelines waiting for J&J &J to say, are we gonna spend $12 billion and buy CMR? Because that's the conversations going on right now inside the J&J &J walls because their robot is not gonna get to market anytime soon. Hmm. And so they have to make a decision. Are we going to partner with a CMR and do a rev share? Well, there's a hint of that in Europe right now. Yep. 
Um, so we'll see what happens there. But it's still, I think, jury's still out. Medtronic can't afford to buy a robot right now, and they shouldn't buy a robot right now. They've got other challenges ahead of them. Interesting. We'll have Martin Bueller of J&J at, uh, not at Device Talks, at our affiliated event, which is happening at the same time, same place, the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum. If anyone wants to attend either of those, they can register for Device Talks and use the code TMG25. Save 25% off the price. Uh, <laughs> just want to get that little plug in there. Was, that, was that subtle? Was no, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. You uh, got a taste of the many different uh, flavors we'll be serving at Device Talks Boston, and I, I sincerely hope you'll join us there. I sincerely hope you'll go to devicetalks.com to register. Use the code DTWeekly25, and it uh, would be great to, to see you. We'll, 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 have, uh, we'll have a lot going on during the day. We will have a reception at 5 o'clock at night. And uh, once again, if you're attending and want to uh, attend the reception after the reception, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, some folks did last week. I appreciate that. Happy to share uh, connections to another uh, event that's going on. But uh, it's happening on May 10th, and that's not too far away. That's next Wednesday. So act now. Go to devicetalks.com. Save yourself almost $200 by using DT Weekly 25. And come and take care of yourself. Enjoy a couple of days with uh, a thousand of your best friends and colleagues. All right, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, once again, don't forget to subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network. You'll get Device Talks Weekly, Striker Talks, Intuitive Talks, Boston Scientific Talks coming up, Abbott Talks. And uh, please do subscribe to Medtronic Talks as well. We are uh, planning a new uh, episode of that coming up very soon, and it's going to be a good one. Uh, so uh, make sure you look for Device Talks Podcast Network and Medtronic Talks and any major podcast application. Share this episode, if you would, and spread the word about Device Talks Boston. And when you do connect with me, I am Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I, and Chris Newmarker. Uh, Chris is Chris as in a Newmarker, Newmarker. So find us both on LinkedIn. All right, folks, once again, would love to see you in Boston next week. Go to devicetalks.com to register to attend Device Talks Boston. Take care, everybody.